The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So you can see the moderation rules now. You can see why Rogan's comments around COVID don't really, like, violate them. I'm Quinta Jurassic. And this is The Lawfare Podcast, February 10th, 2022. Today, we're bringing you another episode of Arbiters of Truth, our series on the online information ecosystem. And we're talking about another podcast, specifically The Joe Rogan Experience. It's perhaps the most popular podcast in the world, and it's been at the center of a weeks-long controversy over COVID misinformation, and content moderation. After Rogan invited on a guest who told falsehoods about the safety of COVID vaccines, outrage mounted towards Spotify, the podcasting and music streaming company that recently signed an exclusive deal with Rogan to distribute his show. Spotify came under pressure to intervene as nearly 300 experts sent the company a letter demanding it take action. And musicians Neil Young and Joni Mitchell asked to pull their music from Spotify's streaming service in response. And the controversy only seems to grow. To discuss, Evelyn Duick and I spoke with Ashley Carmen, a senior reporter at The Verge, who writes the newsletter Hot Pod, covering the podcast and audio industry. She's broken news on Spotify's content guidelines and Spotify CEO Daniel Ek's comments to the company's staff And we couldn't think of a better person to talk to about this slow-moving disaster. How has Spotify responded to the complaints over Rogan? And what does this tell us about how the company is thinking about its responsibilities in curating content? What's Ashley's read on the state of content moderation in the podcast industry more broadly? And is this debate even about content moderation at all? It's the Lawfare Podcast, February 10th. Spotify faces the content moderation music. Before we begin, an exciting announcement. Arbiters of Truth now has its own podcast feed. We'll still be appearing in your Lawfare podcast feed every Thursday, but you can also find us by searching for Arbiters of Truth wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to make sure you find new episodes of the series when they come out, be sure to subscribe. And hopefully this will make it even easier to share the show. When we were planning this episode about a week ago to do a story on uh, or an episode on Joe Rogan and Spotify, we kind of half thought it would be a bit of a retrospective or post-mortem because the story uh, has been going on so long, but not at all. It is still very much uh, ongoing with, with developments all the time. But I think we need to really start at square one because I think it's probably fair to say that the Venn diagram of our audience and Joe Rogan's doesn't have a lot of overlap. So uh, (laughs) this dude is supposedly the biggest podcaster on the planet. Why? Like what, what kind of content is being produced and what is the Joe Rogan experience? Yeah. So Joe Rogan, I'm going to really go for the basics here, but he's a comedian. Many people know him from Fear Factor. He's also the host of MMA He is, yeah, pretty routinely referred to as the biggest podcaster in the world. Just for reference, Spotify has said that he's their number one podcaster in 93 markets. So you can kind of get a global sense here of just how popular he is, especially on their platform. And his show, you know, mainly involves him just having conversations with various folks. 
kind of spanning the gamut. You know, he's had some people on who are like hunters or who have interesting niche hobbies. And then more recently, and I think kind of what leads us up to the conversations we're having more (laughs) these past few weeks is he's had on some folks from the science community that are a bit more fringe and have been saying some things that uh, many folks would consider misinformation. And so that is kind of leading to where we are today. Yeah. So let's talk about where we are today. What, first off, I guess, what's the relationship between Spotify and Rogan's show? And then uh, what particularly happened that pushed that relationship into the spotlight? As I mentioned, Rogan has been podcasting for many years, and typically people think of him as a YouTube podcaster. So he really benefited from YouTube and was available freely across the podcasting industry on various platforms. Notably, he was now available through Spotify. And that was until 2020 when Spotify signed an exclusive deal with him to bring his show, the future episodes, and the back catalog to their platform um, in a reported $100 million deal. So now Joe Rogan is distributed exclusively on Spotify. Spotify monetizes his show, distributes it, and then, of course, is incentivized to also promote it. And so the reason, you know, people in the podcast industry, of course, and I think everyone kind of knew about this deal going on, but the reason it's specifically in the spotlight right now is because at the end of December, Joe Rogan had a guest on his show named Dr. Robert Malone, who indeed is a doctor and did work on the mRNA vaccines, but on this show, this Dr. Malone said some things that many people, again, would consider misinformation. So just one small example is he mentioned that the vaccines for COVID-19 are experimental, which is not true because they obviously underwent clinical trials and experiments and have been in development for years. So yeah, they're not experimental vaccines. So why is this such a big deal? Like, I, this story has dominated the headlines uh, for a while now. And when we started to get into week two of this saga, I was sort of saying to Quinta, like, I have no idea why this has gotten so much broader attention. Like, it's not at all a surprise to me that this is in the tech media or, the you know, the content moderation space. But this is really sort of, uh, it's it's on the homepage of a lot of news sites and things like that. And Quinta gently suggested that I perhaps didn't understand what a big deal Neil Young and, and Jody Mitchell are, which perhaps guilty. I mean, maybe the fact that both of them, originally Neil Young, uh, pulled his catalogue from Spotify in protest of their decision to keep the Joe Rogan experience on their platform. Um, And maybe that's just it. Maybe I just don't understand uh, the cultural zeitgeist. That's an extremely likely hypothesis, I suppose. But you're you're someone that has been covering podcasts and, and watching Spotify and Rogan for a while. And I'm curious if you have been surprised at the level of attention uh, that this has gotten, or whether you sort of have been waiting for this, that this has kind of been inevitable for a while now? Yeah. So as a person who's been reporting on the podcast and audio space for the past few years, I will say all this outsized attention on the industry is somewhat shocking for me. Um, but also, you know, it's nice to see people paying attention and caring, of course. But I think the reason why this is such a conversation now is kind of a confluence of factors. One is like a lot of this has to do with the pandemic. And I think people just broadly are very sensitive to what's being said about COVID-19, really paying attention to how it's talked about um, and really strong sentiments all around. So I think just that right there makes it an interesting conversation. Um, The second is just that Joe Rogan is widely considered, and I believe the biggest podcaster in the world. So of course he has a lot of fans and a lot of people have strong opinions about what he does. Then there's the $100 million that is reported what Spotify paid him. And I think that's just a lot of money. It's definitely one of the biggest, if not the biggest deal in the podcasting industry to date. So I would say that you know calls a lot of attention to Spotify and what they're doing and how they're spending their money, particularly for employees. And then... Yeah, I think I think it might the Neil Young pulling his music and Joni Mitchell as well and some other folks just kind of triggered the musician side of all these things, which is musicians have been frustrated for years at how little they get paid by the streaming platforms, notably Spotify. And this kind of just kickstarted that conversation as well. You said, you know, as someone that's been watching this space for a while, you've been surprised at the amount of attention. And, I, you know, I totally 
share that. And in some ways, maybe the more surprising thing is how little attention it's gotten until now, this this whole podcast space. Like I've been on a, a content moderation reckoning uh, watch for years now because people just say like totally wild things uh, on podcasts. I mean, not not this podcast, obviously, we, we would never. But um, some of the things that people say on, on podcasts like would cause massive outcry if they were said uh, on, on Facebook and Twitter. But for some reason, it's just been this massive blind spot in the whole tech clash that's going on around content moderation. Uh, like as someone that's been reporting on this, um, do you have any theories about why this has flown under the radar as long as it has? Well, one one thing I do think about a lot is oftentimes I had a list somewhere because I actually did want to write about this at some point, but you you hear a lot about people who quote unquote get canceled or you know, they make comments on podcasts that end up becoming headlines because of what they're saying being so outrageous or wrong or racist or whatever it's going to be. Um, and I think people just get really comfortable on podcasts. Like you just have a little microphone. There's no video. It's recorded oftentimes and not live. You maybe feel comfortable with the host. So I feel like that right away loosens people up to say things that maybe they otherwise would feel uncomfortable saying in front of other people. But as far as why the moderation discussion hasn't gained as much traction, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I think, you know, podcasts haven't been available up until very recently. On Facebook, um, they're not available on Twitter. They've always been available on YouTube, but YouTube is kind of seen as like not real podcasting, quote unquote, because it's not the RSS feeds and things. So I think maybe we've seen a lot of outsized attention on how social networks moderate and how algorithms affect what people see. And that really hasn't been a big part of podcasting. Even now, it's really not. Like Algorithms are not something we're discussing about this conversation. Yeah. I mean, I will say, obviously, as someone who is participating in making a podcast and has has done a bunch of podcasts for, for Lawfare over the years, it's really interesting how disconnected podcasts can seem from the rest of a sort of publication social presence. I mean, we've tried to experiment with like putting out little clips of audio on Twitter to get people to share them. And you can have a, a, a you know, a number of people who listen to your podcast and are big fans, but like th- they tend not to engage with it in that way. So I do see what you're saying about how it just, it feels totally separate from other kinds of, of social engagement in that way. Totally. And yeah, that's exactly it. Like, we haven't seen, again, like software algorithms promoting audio as much. And that's actually become kind of a pain point for the industry. Because like you're mentioning, if you are a podcaster, you would love for it to get some traction on Twitter for more people to discover your show. And that's why this situation is kind of unique in that we're discussing a company paying a podcaster to exclusively distribute his show and kind of what the editorial responsibilities are and what they should be doing to make sure that the show, you know, maybe isn't spreading misinformation or what really what their role is. Yeah. So let's talk about Spotify's role a little bit. Um, I find their their response has been interesting and constantly developing, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> and so we're, we're recording this on Tuesday, February 8th. Over the weekend, it seemed like uh, about 70 or over 70 past episodes of the Joe Rogan experience disappeared from Spotify, <laughs> I think, including some of him using racial slurs, which I think, you know, suggests a few things among them that Rogan has clearly been saying things that might give people pause on this show for a long time even if it's now getting particular attention in terms of the discussion around COVID misinformation, but also that, you know, Spotify seems to be tipping its hand, taking a more active role in deciding we actually don't want these particular episodes on our, on our service. Can you talk a little bit about this? Like what was going on with us past episodes? Why Spotify is taking this now? Like, was it entirely foreseeable? Like that something was like this was going to happen eventually, just given the nature of Rogan's show? Yeah. So let me back up a little. So like one thing I think we should make clear here is that the episodes that people are talking about with the racial slurs, um, the reason that came up is because there was a viral video clip of him using the N-word multiple times and making a racist joke that went around. This was not 
from what I can tell, from new episodes. Um, this was in the archives. This had been around. I guess this video had existed for a while. And so arguably Spotify should have or did listen to Rogan's archives and should have known this content existed. But when they brought Rogan over, the content was allowed to live on their platform, presumably fit within their moderation rules. And that was that. So when the original story went around about this misinformation around COVID, Spotify's CEO, Daniel Eck, issued a press release saying essentially they don't want to be like content censors and Rogan's conversations fit into their moderation rules, which we can discuss if you'd like. Keep in mind, these moderation rules were not public up until basically like a week after this entire situation started exploding. So you can see the moderation rules now. You can see why Rogan's comments around COVID don't really like violate them. So now, fast forward a week, which feels like an eternity, and we have this viral video with these racial slurs. And again, Spotify hasn't issued a formal comment around this. Um, instead, there's been a leaked internal memo that came out that essentially has the CEO saying, you know, I do not agree with what Rogan says. I find this content, you know, abhorrent, but at the same time, you know, we like we are not going to get involved. But we did have a conversation with Rogan and his team and Rogan himself decided that these episodes should be taken down. It is unclear if all these episodes had racial slurs in them. It's a little unclear why specific episodes were taken down. And I think a lot of comedians who were former guests on those episodes are now upset about it. Spotify is essentially talking out of both sides of its mouth. Like on one hand, they're saying, well, we're not going to get involved. Like as long as it doesn't break our rules, we're cool with it being on the platform. But at the same time, they're saying, well, actually, though, when it's racist language, we're going to have backdoor conversations with Rogan to ensure that, I mean, presumably they're pushing a little bit here for him to remove it. So it's really unclear what Spotify is going to do. And again, like just using racial slurs is not violating any rules on Spotify that they've published. Yeah, I have to say, I found this whole thing deeply unsatisfying. You know, we often in content moderation talk in this language of high principle and, and rhetoric about the marketplace of ideas or, you know, in, in some of these blog posts, the sort of fear of silencing voices and the importance of, you know, using more speech to to counter bad speech and, and, and things like that. But if you look at like what's actually happening, this whole thing is playing out in, you know, Instagram videos of a sports commentator, uh, a musician whose biggest hits are like 50 years old and known for, you know, amongst other things, spreading misinformation about uh, GMOs and, and a 38 year old billionaire, uh, Swedish billionaire, which is like not exactly the way that you envisage great debates about, you know, the, the normative underpinnings of the modern public sphere playing out. And I'm sort of curious, given you know you reporting on this and, and talking to people involved how much of this do you feel is really based on deep-seated principles that people have been thinking about and, and feeling for a while about um content moderation and and the rules that we should have and how it should work and how much of it is purely reactive based on like how stock prices are moving that the, the specifics of the licensing deals involved and things like that and we're framing it as some great free speech debate but actually it's just uh business all the way down well, you know, obviously this is speculation. I've not had a phone call with the CEO of Spotify, so I don't and I don't know what's true in his heart. But what I will say is that in an internal town hall that Spotify hosted with its employees, I received some leak audio from that and published the CEO Daniel X's entire speech that he gave to the company about this was before the racial slurs incident. So what he gave this the speech he gave to the company. Um and throughout it, he keeps pointing back to why the company needed Rogan. And the answer is actually kind of interesting. He points to deals with hardware companies, so like Google and Amazon, and how Rogan gave Spotify a leg up in those negotiations, essentially saying, you know, if we have the same RSS-based catalog as everybody else, well, Google and Amazon, who also run their own podcast services, could easily forget us. Instead, we now have Rogan, which many people want to hear. So if they want to please their customers, they're going to have to play ball with us, basically. Um, so that's obviously a business incentive to keep Rogan on the platform. He also says that Rogan has helped contribute to making them the number one podcast app in the U.S. And really keeps pointing back to this idea of a quote-unquote mission. And the mission, he says, is to get to 1 billion subscriptions and 50 million creators on the platform. 
So 1 billion users and 50 million creators. So basically he's, instead of having like a true mission statement around like what kind of content they want to have on the platform, Daniel is essentially saying like, look, this is really good for our business. And if you believe that our mission is to grow, then you can understand why we need to have Rogan here. And so I think if he, if that is what he believes and what he's sticking to, then you can easily understand the decisions that are being made. Um, and if it's about business, yeah, like I would say racial slurs are probably not great to have for business. Yeah, that that's part of what I find so fascinating here, because you can see how it kind of, the controversy kind of gets them coming and going. On the one hand, they really do seem to be financially strapped into a position where, according to the CEO, they really need Rogan to move forward. On the other hand, as you say, I can't imagine it's super great for business uh, to be associated with some of this content, especially if you have artists who are starting to voice their complaints. I know um, I saw some some folks have pulled their podcasts from Spotify, uh, at least one podcast, the Science Versus podcast on Gimlet. Uh, announced that they were only going to, and their, which is on owned by Spotify to be clear, announced that their episodes going forward are just going to be fact checks of Joe Rogan's podcast. So it seems like it's, it's, you know, creating a lot of problems. But I, I did want to ask you more about the specifics of Spotify's financial incentives here, like how specifically it makes money on Rogan's podcasts what it loses, not just if it loses Rogan, but also what it loses if it takes down, you know, an episode or 70 episodes. Like, what are the costs at issue here? Yeah. So Spotify's business, obviously, up until, you know, the past few years has primarily been music streaming and ads partially for the free users, but also then subscriptions for the folks who don't want to hear ads. And with the spoken word content like podcasts, Spotify, yes, is still pursuing subscriptions, but even if you pay for a subscription to Spotify, you are still going to hear ads on its podcast. So for Joe Rogan, you might be paying for a subscription, but you're still going to hear an ad every time you listen to the show. Those ads, because it's an exclusive show distributed by Spotify, they also sell those ads. So they, you know, make the ad share revenue. And so that's kind of the key thing here to think about is that when you stream music on Spotify, it of course pays royalties to the record labels and artists. But when you listen to a Spotify show, it makes money every time you listen. So actually removing these episodes is is costly because, of course, the big goal is to monetize as many podcasts as it can and you want as much inventory as you can get to put ads into. So if they have to remove podcasts, they're losing some inventory for sure. But that's the broader goal around how they're going to make money off of deals like Joe Rogan's, but others like Color Daddy and Dak Shepard's Armchair Expert. And so what's been happening with the stock price of Spotify throughout all this? Like, is the company actually going to feel any real hurt in terms of the bottom line? Or is this mostly just, you know, a fun media story that's entertaining for all of us, but ultimately is not going to matter in terms of Spotify's valuation? I believe it did did drop during this entire situation. They had their earnings. It looks like it's down a bit today. But... I am skeptical that they are really going to feel the burn from Rogan specifically. I more would expect investors to be paying attention to, yeah, a little bit of how this handles the situation for sure. Although we've seen with Facebook that that hasn't really ever moved the stock, but rather whether all these investments actually make money for Spotify and diversify its revenue. So over the past few weeks, Spotify has really tried to frame this whole controversy as a content moderation problem, uh, similar to the ones that Facebook and Twitter face with, you know, COVID misinformation on their platforms as well. Uh, And in the middle of it all, they release their content rules, uh, which you had revealed uh, earlier as as part of a scoop, and talked about the need to find a balance between creator expression and safety. And honestly, I think if you'd trained like GPT-3 on a bunch of Facebook press releases over the years, it would have come up with the post uh, that the CEO uh, released. Um, Sarah Fryer had this great quip that, you know, things are bad when a company wants critics to think it's like Facebook. (laughs) 
And I think that that framing really would suit Spotify because there's a sense, and we talk about this a lot on this show, that a lot of content moderation problems are really intractable. And when you're dealing with the sort of volume of content that many of these platforms are dealing with, you're never going to get it all perfect. And there's difficult lines to draw between, as you know, as the post talked about, creator expression and, and safety and things like that. But as we've been talking about, Spotify's relationship with Joe Rogan is nothing like, uh, you know, their relationship with any other user or, you know, our relationship with Twitter when we're when we're tweeting. And I'm, I'm just sort of curious to go back to that other side of the content moderation side of Spotify and, and sort of dig into what that even looks like. Like, do you have any idea why they hadn't released their content guidelines before and, and, and you, like, how it came to you, you know, getting the scoop and whether you think that that was sort of further transparency that they were that they ultimately did offer, whether that was coming or whether you pushed them to do it, uh, is this something that they were thinking about in advance, or is it all purely reactive? Right. So just to like drive the point home about what you're saying is, again, like the issues that we're bringing up with Joe Rogan and Spotify are very unique in that Spotify, again, presumably should have or did review Rogan's archives prior to bringing him onto the platform exclusively. So it should have known what he had said in past years and if the racial slurs were going to present an issue for them. And also then with the more recent content around COVID that happened during his deal, Spotify has said that they review all of his shows that he publishes just like anybody else would. And so they also heard that and found no issue with it. And to, like they have kept it up. So you can see that they're sticking to that. So the Joe Rogan situation is super unique. Um, and oftentimes when we speak about moderation policies, it's because of user-generated content, which Spotify does hope to really make a big part of its business. It bought Anchor, which is a podcast creation software. It is starting to really help monetize those shows, so they say. But yeah, the, the question does remain, like, why were these policies never public in the first place? And I wish I knew their thinking. I have no clue if me publishing them early prompted them to then publish them a couple days later. I don't know if they were planning to do so. They have said, and at this point, I can't remember. I think this is something they've said publicly. They've said like, oh, this was our screw up. We should have released this earlier, but they didn't. And now it's a question of how firmly are they standing by these policies? How will they communicate when they're updated? Will they update them? And what does this moderation efforts look like? like? We have no idea who, if they're hiring third parties, if they have an internal team, like there has been no communication about the actual mechanics of how moderation happens on Spotify. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So... I guess my question is like, is this even a story about content moderation? <laughs> I, I was interested to hear what you said about how Spotify is thinking about like moving into user generated content because that that does seem to put it, you know, more in the space of a Facebook or a Twitter. But right now, you know, I wonder whether the Joe Rogan situation is like more akin to a situation where a newspaper runs an op-ed that contains misinformation or says something offensive because that also involves a judgment about what should and shouldn't appear in a particular outlet. But I don't know if I would describe it as content moderation. And this is kind of getting into Daniel Ek's argument in the town hall you reported on that the Rogan relationship, where it's an exclusive but they don't have editorial control, is different from its relationship with the podcast studios that it outright owns. 
like, do you think there's anything to that distinction or is X slicing things a little fine here uh, in order to disclaim responsibility? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is kind of the crux of the whole conversation is like, is Spotify a neutral platform or is it a publisher? And whew, I mean, like I have my own opinions on it. I mean, I would say personally that given that Spotify is spending a hundred million dollars, not only to just exclusively distribute Rogan, but also monetize it and promote it. That to me goes beyond a just pure neutral platform relationship. And so that's just my take. Um, but I think this isn't a true moderation discussion like we were mentioning around Facebook. It's it's a bit different because yeah, it's not like Spotify has to comb through millions of podcasts. They do, but that's not what we're talking about today to figure out who's saying what and what they're taking down. They have to specifically comb through their star podcasters content and figure out if it fits within their rules and if they really are okay with every single thing he says. And again, they were sticking with it until the racial slurs incident, in which case it seems like Spotify took a heavier hand in those conversations and kind of pushed Rogan to either agree or come to the conclusion or something about those should be taken down and Spotify took them down. Okay, so roughly half an hour into a podcast that's been exclusively about Joe Rogan and, and Spotify, and it's you know one of many in this space over the past few weeks, I, I want to ask the question about whether any of this matters at all uh in the sense of like what what is what is really at stake here apart from you know all all this money washing around in the sense that if spotify were to take down the joe rogan experience um you know is joe rogan going to lose all of his listeners um is the misinformation and and racist speech going to disappear overnight and everyone will suddenly get vaccines you know like what does this space look like in terms of the gatekeeping power of spotify really because in, in a sense, the whole point of the Spotify deal with Rogan in the first place was that he is enough of a superstar that he can move his audience onto the Spotify platform uh, where people aren't used to getting or weren't used to getting podcasts. And that was, in, sense, in a sense, one of the big value ads for Spotify in this whole deal. So what happens if, you know, Spotify caves to this enormous uh, public pressure campaign and, and, and Neil Young's uh, exhortations and, and suddenly removes the podcast? Well, yeah. So I, I don't think Rogan needs Spotify. Spotify needs Rogan far more than he needs them. And and that's been one thing that I think is a little unclear throughout this discussion is like, what does everybody want Spotify to do? I think there are varying levels of steps that people would want. And it kind of depends on the person. But broadly, yes, like Rogan definitely can thrive without Spotify. It's, and I'm sure someone else would snap him up immediately. So I do believe that, yeah, Spotify really needs him to stay and they need his inventory for the ads and they need his reach to bring up the rest of their podcast catalog. So I want to make sure that we zoom out and kind of talk about the podcast industry more broadly and content moderation. But before we do that, I think I would be remiss not to ask you about the role of employee activism in this space, because it does seem like there are people on Spotify's staff who have a pretty defined point of view about this. Can you talk about that a little? To what extent has that been forcing Spotify's hand? And do you think it will have an effect going forward? You know, I am not entirely sure how much Spotify is listening to its employees. I mean, in his statements in the internal town hall, he, Daniel Ack essentially says, like, we're going to have content you don't agree with. And like, this is just kind of the cost of doing business essentially. And like we have, if we want to achieve our mission of being the number one audio app, like that's what it's going to be. And and he'll say like, I hear employees. I know you might be hurt by what Rogan says in some cases, but like, again, kind of cost of business. So, but, you know, we have seen in the past with Apple specifically and Netflix, how much employees speaking up can end up really changing the trajectory of a company. And so I know some employees inside of Spotify are upset that Spotify is not doing more. Recently, again, in a leaked memo, Daniel Luck committed $100 million to content from people from historically marginalized backgrounds. So it seems like he's trying to like do a make good a little bit to address their concerns. But yeah, I mean, unless employees are going to either like walk out or petition or work stoppage or something, I... 
I don't know how much movement we'll really see. The the thing that I also am watching is like how this impacts recruitment. I know we talk a lot about that with like Facebook. So how hard will it be to get people to work at Spotify? Will it kind of change how people perceive the company? These are kind of the open questions still. Okay, so whether or not Joe Rogan is actually a content moderation issue, there are in fact content moderation issues when it comes to podcasts. And so let's zoom out and talk about that more generally. You once wrote an article for The Verge uh, with the title, Can Anyone Moderate Podcasts? And I guess um, <laughs> I want to know the answer uh, and, and why that's even a question. Like, Can you tell us a little bit about what you outlined in that article in terms of what makes podcast content moderation distinctive from other forms? Yeah, so it's a little bit wonky. So I think the thing to know is that traditionally podcast catchers, podcast players, as we think of them, like Apple as an example, Apple Podcasts, function with RSS feeds, which are essentially like links to episodes, linked to a catalog of episodes. So if I want to listen to a show, I can actually go into Apple and input an RSS feed. Um, and listen to that show. And Apple does this thing where it just surfaces those RSS feeds for you so you don't have to manually input anything. And so the reason why it's been historically very difficult to moderate podcasts is kind of multifold. But one is just if these companies operate like search engines, which Spotify does not for what it's worth, but like for the traditional podcast players, then you're kind of asking them to deplatform a link, which just starts to get into like trickier trickier terrain, because even if they remove it from search results, are you going to prevent people from entering a link into essentially like a search engine or browser? And like that, that's a specific line you're asking a company to cross. Uh, the next big issue really is how do you moderate speech? You know, we already have seen a lot of issues around trying to moderate text and video and just deciphering what is worth moderating, what breaks the rules, what doesn't, what's actually happening in a video and in text. And audio is going to be just as big of an issue, if not more, considering that things are said that there's a lot of nuance, there's sarcasm. How can software really detect this? Like, yes, even if you transcribe maybe what we're saying here, you know, we might say something that for some reason a software thinks that that's problematic, I don't know, and breaks a rule. So I will say it also really struggles with accents, which uh, <laughs> seems to cause a little bit of a problem for us from time to time, because uh, yes, uh, I, I'm sure listeners can work out why. <laughs> Yeah. And so there's like still that open question of like, can transcription even, it's not even a thing that's widely available throughout the industry. Like it's not a standard in podcast apps that I can read a transcription of every episode. So if that's not even standard, I find it hard to believe that there will be the standard of transcribing episodes on the back end and moderating them. So that's, that's a big question. And then, yeah, there's just kind of how the industry has always flourished. And there's so many different players. So in, in addition to the actual platforms that let you play podcasts, there's hosting providers who, you know, are how are they moderating? Like, are they are they going to be asked to not host a platform? Like, a, like GoDaddy or AWS would be asked to maybe not host an app or a website. Um, and what are their rules? There's, there's just a lot of different parties involved in podcasting, unlike a Facebook or a YouTuber, in this case, a Spotify, where it's all hosted on their platform. It's all, and in some cases, it's all being made on their platform and how they handle it. Yeah. I mean, some of what you're saying actually reminds me of maybe what the internet was like before the the big giants um, sort of consolidated everything that because podcasting is a relatively new medium and industry that there's still, as you say, this kind of tangle of different services doing different things. And so there's not one or two or three big places that kind of have a vertically integrated content production machine. And so it's harder to moderate. Is there anything to that or am I barking up the wrong tree? No, for sure. I think that there's been a push in podcasting, particularly from the big tech platforms, to make it act more like the web. Because if you control the full ecosystem, then you can start targeting ads. You can gain more data about listeners. And the ads is really what it's all about, is being able to target these ads, create revenue there, and kind of own that entire chain. Which again, like up until now, it's been kind of a messy constellation of companies handling all this. Yeah. So I want to ask about ads, actually, because as always, follow the money. And 
yes, there has been this sort of really hands-off ethos to podcasts uh, more generally, but I mean, something that I think I've been seeing, and I'd love your reflections on this, is as podcasting in general has become bigger and more people are listening to it and it's more mainstream, there's more you know, opportunity to monetize it. And we see um, sort of platforms maybe taking different approaches and, and trying to sort of capitalize on that market. And it seems like ads, obviously, is, is the way in which in which that happens. And I'm curious how that works in podcasting and how that industry works. Because I, I don't I don't totally understand. Like sometimes when I go home to Australia um, and I listen to my regular podcasts and, for example, the Lawfare podcast, I get ads with Aussie accents about Australian mm. things, which is always a little wild. And so I'm curious how the ad industry works here and how that's driving this conversation. Yeah. So traditionally podcast ads are kind of what you would imagine as like the, you know, mattress promo codes. Oftentimes it was a very person to person relationship. Um, so it's like, I think you do a really great job. I love your show. We want to sponsor you. Here's our promo code. You know, maybe you get a kickback or something. I don't know. But like basically it was exactly what you think of as the traditional podcast ad. But with these big companies coming in and others as well, there's this idea of trying to move the industry towards programmatic advertising as well as dynamic ad insertion. So traditionally, podcast ads lived on in an episode forever. It was quote unquote baked in. Um, but now with dynamic ad insertion, you're starting to see that people can monetize their back catalog depending on like where you're listening, what type of device you have. I mean, the data is relatively limited. I mean, basically all they have though is your IP address. Um, it's not like the Facebook data machine, but they can try to, depending on the time of year, swap out ads. So like the classic example is like a flower ad around Valentine's Day that they can insert into the podcast to make it more relevant and monetize that catalog more efficiently. And then of course, there's programmatic advertising, which is what the industry is trying to move towards, which is more targeted ads and why you see tech companies taking a particular interest in kind of facilitating that move. So I wanted to ask about where other companies in the podcast industry stand in terms of their approach to the sort of content moderation or quasi-content moderation struggles that Spotify is now having. Because it seems like podcast content moderation, as we've been discussing, is sort of, it's there, it's maybe not as developed as a, as a field, as a concept, than content moderation elsewhere on the web for a number of reasons. Like you said, you know, audio is hard. Um, it's difficult to figure out the mechanics there. Um, it's maybe, you know, not sort of fully fleshed out in the way that text content moderation is. So what what do companies like, you know, Apple or Google or SoundCloud or Stitcher do? And how does that compare to Spotify? Do, or do you even have any sense of that? Or are they just as secretive as Spotify was before all of this? Yeah, I think we really haven't had enough skirmishes to really know how everybody's operating. What I will say is we have seen this play out one other time in one other high profile moment, which was around Alex Jones's podcast in 2018. In that case, Apple Podcasts removed his show from its platform. And like, so if you search it, you can't find it. It doesn't come up on the hit charts. I presume they aren't recommending it. But like, even in that case where Apple did really get hands on there, I can still once again, go in and input Alex Jones's RSS feed into Apple Podcasts and listen to the show. So again, it's not like this banning of that RSS link. It was more of a removing it from its recommendations, from its actual show listings and um, from the charts. That's kind of the last big moment we had around podcast moderation. And yeah, there hasn't been a ton of info shared about, once again, like how these companies are preemptively looking for content that infringes on their rules. Instead, it seems like it's something that if someone spots it or law enforcement reports it, then they might act. But otherwise, yeah, it's unclear still. Yeah, and in a way, that's why it's somewhat still hard to believe, even though all of the ruckus of the last few weeks, that this will have a particularly long-lasting impact across the industry. Because I remember the Alex Jones thing, and it was like this massive big deal. It seemed like, you know, the dawn of a new era, uh, as the platform sort of all had this cascade or domino effect of, of booting him off. Uh, and like you say, it was kind of a blip that was this big controversy, and then it's kind of been very quiet uh, since then, and, um, and, and now we have an 
another another sort of uh, merry-go-round, but it's unclear that it will have any sustained impact. And it's like content moderation in other spaces. Is, I like to think of it as in its awkward adolescence uh, where, you know, at least they're trying and they, it's no not clear what the future is going to be or what they want to grow up to, to be. Um, but there's, you know, this pretty standard set of transparency reports and clear standards, uh, whereas podcast content moderation isn't even there yet. It's still very much in its awkward infancy. There's no industry standards of um, numbers of how many takedowns they're doing. Or like you said, we don't even know what, what Spotify has, the number of people it has, or whether Apple has dedicated podcast content moderation teams. It's it's quite amazing, really, given all of this attention, all of this focus, how like completely little we know about any of this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would love, <laughs> I would love more info if people were willing to share it, but it's yeah, been pretty hush hush. And even with Spotify itself, as I mentioned before, like they're not even actually sharing how they moderate shows. They claim they've taken down like upwards of 20,000 podcasts episodes, I believe related to their rules and their policies. But again, like it's unclear how they even detected those episodes um, and how, like what, like who their team is and who they're working with. So these are all, even for a company that's getting a lot of heat right now, like there's still not a lot of real details being shared. And it also doesn't seem like there's a lot of pressure to get those mundane details, which are actually the ones that matter, I think. Like so much of yeah. this is is happening at this level of sort of exciting controversy of Neil Young and, and Joe Rogan. Um, whereas I think those sort of systemic questions of the underlying systems of what Spotify is doing in those 20,000 podcasts, it's a lot harder to get detail on that. And there's a lot less focus. Totally, totally. You talked before about how, you know, there's a number of different responses that we might want from Spotify and, and different people want different things. Um, and I think that's totally right. Like the, the, options aren't necessarily limited to uh, take down or leave up. And I'm so I'm curious to sort of hear you talk a little bit more about features you see getting introduced in, in podcast hosting and, and streaming platforms more generally and sort of the different options and, and their different levels of responsibility. Because there's, I think, a reasonable case to be made that as a platform gets more and more involved in the production and curation of content or makes it easier to search and share that content or even is more capable of doing that kind of thing. Like, for example, as you were talking about before, as the transcription services get better, um, maybe they have a greater responsibility to do more about it. Back in the, 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 we seem to be moving forward from the, uh, the 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 good old days of just you know it's an RSS feed. There are different options, and Spotify. One of the re responses that it's it's had here has been to say that it will introduce a sort of uh, information uh, warning before any podcasts about COVID nineteen. And I'm curious what other sort of features you've seen on different podcast platforms, whether it's, you know, user affordances or different ways of doing content moderation and flagging, like how sophisticated is this ecosystem and is it developing or is it still very basic? Yeah, I would say it's still very basic. I mean, Spotify says that it's the first podcast platform to introduce this. And from what I know, they, that is true. Um, I don't, I can't think of another podcast platform that puts some sort of like information center link out on COVID-19 content. Yeah, there is, of course, manual flagging, which from that story you mentioned earlier around if anyone can moderate podcasts, that was often what I heard was a way for platforms to kind of get a heads up on what was happening on their platform. But otherwise, as far as moderation goes, <laughs> that's kind of it right now, at least from what I'm hearing. And something I'm just curious if you know anything about is moderation of songs. Like we're talking about Spotify and podcasts a lot, but obviously it's uh, mostly known as a music streaming service. And when we're talking about racial slurs, for example, or other kinds of uh, problematic content, it's not like we've never heard of such a thing in a song. Do you know if they moderate songs? Yeah. So, and, and this is kind of actually where like it gets interesting is like, obviously with Joe Rogan using a racial slur, it seems like Spotify stepped in a bit. Of course, like rappers and hip hop artists use the n-word like all the time and that is a totally different use case and it's a and again this is music that spotify doesn't own so in that case it's like it is a neutral platform so why does it feel the need to step in for rogan and that that's just kind of this open question but as far as music moderation yes in the past there i remember there was an example of spotify taking down music that i believe said that covid or that the vaccines you know had a microchip in them 
they have seemingly stepped in on music as well. That breaks their rules. Um, although there isn't an explicit rule about microchips. So I'm not entirely sure why they would step in there, but Yes. Again, that is a question, though. It's like, how are they finding these songs? Are they being reported? Does the media pick it up? It's unclear. I like the idea that if you if you write a song specifically about there being microchips, that you can upload it (laughs) to to Spotify. They do have a rule that explicitly says you can't encourage people to drink bleach for healthcare purposes. So I would not be surprised if the microchip showed up, too. You can imagine that just being a very catchy chorus. So I'm not going to try and sing it, uh, but you can see it really. That's that's the way to get the propaganda out. So, so Ashley, I wanted to close by asking what your bet is for kind of how this plays out. You know, Evelyn had pointed out that the, the Alex Jones takedown from Apple seemed like this incredibly momentous event when it happened. And yet it's kind of receded in, you know, popular memory, certainly in my memory. <laughs> Do you think we're, you know, this this fight between Rogan and Spotify or this fight um, over Rogan's content on Spotify is sort of the sign of a, a dawn of a new era of podcast content moderation? Or should we expect that this is all going to die down in a few weeks and we're kind of going to go back to square one? I would be very shocked if this ushered in a new era of podcast moderation. I do think it could potentially sort of be a, a flare in the air for the rest of the platforms to kind of recognize like, oh, we should have our strategy ready to go. Like they saw how this played out here. Exclusive deals are becoming more and more popular. So I would imagine if they are forward thinking, these companies might start to get their crisis plan ready to go. I hope that it encourages the rest of the industry to start talking more about how they moderate shows and what their policies are. I'm not optimistic you know, we can hope and manifest it. Otherwise, as far as the Rogan situation goes, I, you know, I thought this would have ended a couple weeks ago, but instead we're in week three of the work week covering it. And so my only hunch is that either employees start to speak up and we see something happen on that front or Rogan or Spotify exits the deal, which I would not expect to happen. But if it did, then obviously that would be the next twist. Well, I will join with you in visualizing a better world where all the podcast platforms release their content moderation guidelines and transparency reports about how they're applying them uh, so that we can try and manifest it into being. I similarly (laughs) are a little bit skeptical, but uh, let's see. Thank you, Ashley, so much for coming on. This was great. Yeah, thank you so much. You've been listening to Arbiters of Truth, the Lawfare podcast series on our online information ecosystem. You can find past episodes in the Lawfare podcast feed and in our new separate Arbiters of Truth podcast feed. And we'll be back with another episode next Thursday. Remember to subscribe to the separate feed so you can find new episodes when they come out. The Lawfare podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. Our audio engineer was Hamza Shitu, and our producer is Jen Pachihowell. Please rate and review the Lawfare podcast on whatever app you use. And thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.